guys. So um, I want to start off today with, that was actually a perfect segue into today. How many of you have kids here in this, uh, in the building? Okay. <laughs> a lot of hands, only a few shouts. So uh, if that's indicative of you that don't have kids, that's what you're in for. So anyways, even if you don't have kids, you can kind of connect to what I'm about to share. So um, uh, yeah, grown kids are good too. Yeah, I have two kids. I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. My daughter, her name is Emmeline, and uh, my son's name is Judah. And I want to show you a picture of Judah. And um, this is a picture of Judah. He's a handsome fella, just like his uh, dad. And uh, <laughs> just kidding. But he is as sweet as that picture looks, okay? He's, uh, he's got a great smile. He's funny. He's, he's uh, you know, this is a great photo from last year at Maymont Park. But let me backtrack a little bit prior to kids, um, if you can remember that far, if you have young kids. But um, three things that I didn't know before I had kids. Number one, I did not know what a developmental milestone was, was okay? I had no idea that people measured your kid's ability to walk or respond to colors against a chart somewhere, okay? So I did not know that, okay? I did, I, that was the first thing I didn't know. I also didn't know when it was inappropriate to stop measuring your child's age in weeks, okay? Some of you are still cleaning, clinging to 116 weeks. Nobody knows how, how many weeks that is. It's, uh, it's almost two years, okay? So um, anyway, so I, nobody, and then the last thing I did not know that all my parents in the building can kind of attest to um, is that I did not know that going places would require so much stuff. Like, literally every time I take my kids somewhere, I need like 50,000 things, right? And so, um, backtrack to this photo of Judah, Judah at um, Maymont Park. And so, and so, we're having a good old time, you know, and, and this photo looks great. Professional photographer, you know, he's smiling, he's looking at the camera, sitting on a tree, you know, uh, looks, you know, everything looks great. If you look at this, you're like, man, that family's got you know, good pictures, good looking kid, you know, smiling, whatever. And then, but there's one thing we won't show you yet, but there's one thing about this picture that you don't see. So I want to provide you a little context to this picture. So I want to show the bottom uh, part of the picture for everybody to see. These are Judah's feet, okay? While this is cute to you, and you're like, oh my gosh, he's cute, he's sitting on a tree, you know, he's got his shoes off, whatever. Um, what you do not know that prior to this photo being taken, there was a 30-minute argument, not really an argument, I lost. So um, there was a 30-minute discussion about how in the world did you forget to bring your kids' shoes to a photography shoot at Maymont Park? Maymont Park is not like a grassy place. There's like hills and rocks. And, and so um, I would like to say that this is the only time that she made such a good point that I never forgotten shoes, but this seems to be a common mistake in my life where I forget my kids' shoes all the time. Um, if you do not believe me and you know who my wife is, feel free to ask her after church. She will tell you that this is a problem that I struggle with. So pray for me also. Um, so... So that is, so once you understand the context of this picture, you kind of get a different view of, of maybe what was happening that day. And so um, 
that leads me into, like, I see pictures of people all the time on the internet. I see Instagram or Facebook and, um, you know, and, and you see these family photos that people have spent a lot of time, you know, preparing. They've done their hair. They've gotten haircuts. You know, the dad took a shower. He shaved his beard. Like, you know, like, there's these nice sort of... Uh, um, there's these nice sort of pictures that we all see. And without proper context, we can look at these pictures and say, man, that family's got it all together. And sometimes when we see these photos, it can kind of bring up a little insecurity in our own lives where we start to compare ourselves to maybe the people we see in the photo. We're like, man, that family looks so perfect. They got it all together. You know, like, man, I wish we had it all together. And, and it's easy for us as, as parents or it's easy for us in life to get caught up into a comparison mindset. And so maybe for you, you can't relate to this, um, this example of the kids. So I wanted to make sure everyone was included, okay? So I'm going to start from kids and, and move up to seniors. Um, not seniors, yeah, seniors. Um, but so let, let's see. Like comparison starts in kids when we compare toys, right? Your kid, that, the, kid the, the toy that other kid is always, uh, that the other kid has is always what your kid wants, right? Their toy is better than that. Mommy, I want that toy. And, and um, I see that with my own kids. And so, and then we move from kids to elementary schools. And, and uh, at kindergarten, uh, kids compare backpacks. So somebody's got the dinosaur backpack or somebody's got the unicorn backpack or, or the fire truck backpack. And, and, um, and so we move into a comparison where kids are comparing their toys first and then their backpacks. And then we move to middle school and it's like, which one of the kids got the phone first? Which parent loves their kids enough to give them an iPhone or doesn't love their kids enough to give them an iPhone? Whatever you feel about that. Um, so uh, thank you for laughing, Bree. The only person that laughed at that joke. So, um, the, and so we move from middle school where it's phones into high schools where uh, people are comparing shoes and uh, who's got the best shoes or the best looking boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever. And, and you see some kids walking around like this so they don't get the creases in their shoes and they look stupid but they don't care because their shoes are the best looking. And so, um, and so we move on from creases in high school and, and, and we move into college where people are comparing majors. Oh, you're undeclared. Oh, so you pretty much have a bad time like making decisions. So, you know, that's where I was, you know, when I was in, in college for a, a long time, uh, probably too long. I'm still undecided about what I want to do when I grow up. So, um, just kidding. Uh, but uh, so, all right, so we go to you know, jobs, and then we move on from jobs, and it's like, oh, you got a boyfriend when you're getting married. We start comparing, you know, like our timeline, like all my friends are married, but I'm not married. I feel insecure about this. And, and then we move into, do you rent or do you own? And if you rent, when are you gonna start owning? And if you own, is your grass better than your neighbor's grass? Um, do they have true green or Virginia green, right? And it's like, let's shout out to Virginia green. True green is not where it is. So, um, so, uh, so anyway, sorry if somebody owns True Green in here, I apologize. Um, so, uh, so we move on to grass, right? And then we get into grandkids and, and retirement and motor scooters and we just, you know, keep comparing things. And, 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 and so, you know, all that to say is, the point is, is there exists amongst us this natural desire for us to be better than others or to, to, uh, to chase success and achievement. And it's very easy for us to get caught up in our desires to have bigger houses and, and nice cars and, and the best toys or to have more money or to be fitter than others for all my gym folks. And, and um, we want our kids to be the smartest, so we send them to the best schools. And, and, um, and while desiring success is not an enemy, 
the Bible tells us that if we make this our primary pursuit, the love of the Father is not in us. And so this is what I want to visit here today. That sounds a little harsh, but we're going to unpack it here today. But would you stand with me today as, as we read God's word together? We're continuing in chapter uh, 2 of, of 1 John, verse 15 through 17, and, and I'll read it for you. It says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the, for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. You may be seated. Last week, Pastor Stan preached a word on the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. And, and today I want to continue unpacking this section by looking at the pride of life. And so we all have kind of an inclination of what pride of life is, but I want to get us all on the same page. So I'm going to give us a working definition for the pride of life. The pride of life is anything that exalts us above our station or leads to arrogance, pretentiousness, pride in self, presumption, or boasting. Those were some big words, but my guess is we at least got one of them, right? I at least understood one of them. So, um, so life, uh, pride of life is anything that exalts us above our station or leads to arrogance, pretentiousness, pride in self, presumption, or boasting. And if you're anything like me, you, you listen, uh, I think we can start today's message by admitting at times, many of us tend to feel insecure about where we are in life. Uh, we... We, it's easy for us to look at the lives of our friends or look at the lives of our family members and, and see their success. And we see their awesome kids or their awesome marriage. And, and we see their new house or their new car. And then, and then somehow as we're looking at their lives um, in front of us, we, we kind of that, that insecurity hits us. And it's easy for us to focus on the little that we do have or, um, or, or, or don't have. And it's very easy for that insecurity that we feel when we're looking at people's lives to develop into an unhealthy hunger for more. And that can create envy in our hearts that leads us to unhealthy pursuits of, in order to appease our own insecurities, thinking that having more will somehow put us or our family at the top of the food chain. If you weren't here this past Wednesday, Pastor Charles started this conversation with the pride of life, and I'd encourage you to go listen to that message. It was an awesome message. If you don't know who Pastor Charles is, he's this guy here in the front. Talk to him after service. He's awesome. So, um, but anyways, here's some good news. The pride of life isn't something that is unique to you or me. It's not unique to millennials, okay? It's not unique to Gen Z. It's not unique to whatever the, uh, generation you're born to. In fact, the pride of life has existed and has been an issue for people since the beginning of time. The first time we see pride of life surface in the Bible is in, with Eve in the Garden of Eden. And I want to look at how Eve was tempted by the enemy in three different ways, um, just the same ways that we've been uh, visiting over the last two weeks. It's, it, when it says... Eve perceived that the fruit was good for food, okay, was pleasing to the eye, and it was desirable for gaining wisdom. She coveted the fruit in three ways. First, it was appealing to her appetite or the lust of the flesh, what Pastor Stan talked about last week. The fruit was also pleasing or delightful to the eye, so the lust of the eyes. And then finally, Eve somehow perceived that the fruit would make her wise. The enemy told her that God knows that when she eats from this fruit, her eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The pride of life. She wanted to know 
good and evil. She wanted to know what God knew, and so this was appealing to her. And so when she sinned um, in the Garden of Eden, uh, that's how we see these kind of things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Fast forward to the New Testament, Jesus was, was tempted in the same way. We see Jesus was, was fasting and he retreated into a desert to fast and pray. And, and um, after 40 days of being in the desert, the enemy approaches him and, and tempts him. And, and, and he tempts him in three different ways. He says, he tempted him first with the lust of the flesh by offering him bread for his hunger. And then secondly, the lust of the eyes as he offered all the kingdoms of this world with their splendor. And the pride of life by daring Jesus to cast himself from the roof of the temple in order to prove that he was Messiah. Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, but he resisted the devil and used the word of God to ensure victory over him. Amen. Yeah. Um, Pastor John, will you mind grabbing that box and uh, kettlebell and bringing it over here for me? So, um, all right. So. If you know me or if you know my family, you know that we like to exercise, okay? We do CrossFit. And if you ever want to know if somebody does CrossFit, don't worry, they'll tell you. Usually within five minutes of meeting them, they will tell you that they do CrossFit. And so I do CrossFit. Welcome. So um, this is my opportunity to share with you. So I love CrossFit. It's awesome. I love it. I've been doing it for seven years now. Thank you, Pastor John. I'm short, so I need the box on this, on that edge. Thank you. So, um, y'all give some, uh, make some noise for Pastor John. He's so strong. Um, all right. So, it, in CrossFit, occasionally we do a movement that's called a box step up, okay? A box step up is exactly what it sounds like. You step up onto a box, right? Okay. So, um, so CrossFit likes to make things a little bit more complex than, than that. And so what we've done is we've added weights to your hands while you step up to the box, okay? So, so um, a box step up would normally, for, for a grown man, I'm not that big, so, um, so I got 30s. But you'll have a weight in either hand, and you'll step up onto a box like this, okay? It's a box step up. Thank you. Um, so, <laughs> so, um, so anyways, I, so... Box step up seems like a simple movement, right? Okay? And last January, we were in a workout at the gym, and, and um, the cool thing about CrossFit is if you're, um, if you're in last place, everybody comes and cheers for you, which is kind of nice, but also brings you to the realization that you're in last place. So, um, so I'm in, uh, you know, close to last place, and everybody starts coming cheering around me, and, and um, you know, and I get all excited, and I'm like, yeah, you know, like, I'm going to do this workout. I'm going to finish. I'm going to be on top. I'm going to crush this. And, and um, you know, and everybody's all like, yeah, finish the last. I don't even know what the workout was, but it was hard, and I was struggling. And, um, and um, so, and so I'm, I'm, like, rushing through it, and I, and I lose focus. I stop paying attention to the box, right? And I'm, so I'm, like, trying to go fast, and, and I'm like, oh, yeah. So I go do something on the wall, a handstand push-up or something dumb like that. And then I grab the two kettlebells, and I step on, and I miss I, I miss the box and the kettlebell falls on my toe, right? But I'm tough, so I finished the workout. So, uh, no, I'm just kidding. My adrenaline kicks in, so I go hard. I'm like, yeah, I finished. I feel great afterwards. I'm all excited. I'm like, yeah, I crushed that. Like, I feel good. And, and adrenaline starts to wear off. I'm all boasting about how I finished even after dropping that. And then the adrenaline wears off. And I don't know if you've ever broken a bone, but when the adrenaline wears off, it feels terrible. This is the first time I ever broke a bone. I broke my toe in the middle of a step up, box step up. So um, as I took, my, I took my focus off of it, 
And so all that, and so I was out for the next six weeks. I was out for six weeks. I missed working out for six weeks. And so uh, was it worth it? I'm not sure still. Um, so, but I had the glory of finishing. I was so excited. I was amped up, but I had a broken toe. And so it was easy for me and it can be easy for us to get caught up in the feeling of beating someone or being better than someone or, or achieving something. And it feels good when people tell us that we're, we're great at something or we're so good at something. But sometimes we focus so much on chasing approval or achievement or accomplishment or satisfaction or pleasure only to be left with hurt. Earlier this week, I was talking to Pastor Eric who leads worship and, and he shared something with me that was deeply profound. He said, when I think of the pride of life, I think of the question, how many times does someone have to tell you you're amazing before you believe it? He said, it will never be enough. You'll always want more and more until the entire world says it. And then at that point, you realize that the only person that deserves that is God and not us. And the truth is, there isn't enough, there's never enough excitement, achievement, or compliments to satisfy the human heart. And even if there was, it would pass away with the earth that we live in. And the enemy knows this. And, and he knows this so much that, in fact, when it comes to sin, he hasn't really changed his tactics very much throughout time. He knows that you and I are naturally enamored by the ideas of, of status and wealth and acceptance and pleasure and fortune and fame and recognition or what we call the pride of life. And this is the very reason why John here is warning us in this area. This is the very reason why John is warning believers here about the pride of life. His words warn us that having pride in our possessions is not from the Father, but from the world. And that pride in all our possessions will pass away along with the world. He warns us that the love of possessions, this is important. He warns us that the love of possessions and the love of God cannot coexist. The Bible says no one can serve two masters. You'll either love one or hate the other. The love of possessions and the love of God cannot coexist. John does, however, offer us um, an alternative to the pride of life. He says, whoever does the will of God will live forever. And so I read this section and I was like, okay, I wanna, do, I wanna be in that camp. I wanna live forever. I wanna, I wanna do the will of God. So naturally, I was like, what's the will of God? <laughs> like, how do I figure out what that is? And how do I know when I'm walking in it? And so when we look at these verses, we can see that the will of God is, and, and living forever is characterized by not living for possessions. And so the will of God is paying more attention to God's glory than our own, paying more attention to our eternal pleasure versus our temporary pleasure. It's giving more, it values godly pursuits over our personal pursuits. And I began to think about which character in the Bible or which person in the Bible um, kind, of, kind of lived this out and, and, and how do we see this played out in, in biblical times? And I thought of the life of Paul. And when I think of the dynamic of pride in life and, and, and godly pursuits, I think of the life of Paul. From what we know about Paul prior to being Paul, we know that he was known as Saul. And I want to describe to you what the Bible says about Saul and who he was and, and where he was um, in the social economical uh, area prior to being Paul. It says in Galatians 1.13, this is um, Paul writing about himself as Saul. He says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, 
among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. In Philippians 3, 4, Paul writes about himself as Saul and says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. <laughs> Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. According to scripture, we see that Saul was the Hebrew of Hebrews. He was, he was esteemed above his peers. He was at the top of the food chain in his, in his job. He was successful according to what they, the definition was um, of success in his time. He was elite. And then we see Saul on the road to Damascus, and there's something unusual that happens as he's on the road to Damascus going to persecute Christians, going to kill Christians. As, as Paul's blinded, and he encounters Jesus. And we see from this interaction that, that once he encountered Jesus, everything in his life shifted. He was no longer concerned about persecuting Christians. He was no longer concerned about wealth or esteem or, 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 or accolades. He, he became concerned about people who were far from Jesus that did not know Jesus coming to know who Jesus was. And I want to show you how we go from Saul to the road of Damascus, to where he ends up later as we look in the Philippians uh, ch uh, chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. Now, this is a coffee cup scripture or a tattoo scripture where people write, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, that's extremely out of context. So I always tell the students that um, context matters, especially with reading God's word. And so um, what I want to do is I want to read this, and then I want to give you some, uh, some context for what what Paul has experienced up to, to this point and even, even after he's writing this. And so let me read it to you first. It says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. At last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And so one of the things that, um, one of the things that I always tell our students when I'm preaching in youth is that context matters. And so I searched some context to help us kind of look at what Paul had experienced up to this point or even after this point. And I want to share this to you. This is from a book called To Live as Christ, To Die as Game by Matt Chandler. And uh, he writes this. He says, hold in your mind not just Paul relaxing at Lydia's house eating steak, not just Paul confounding his opponents or casting out demons or enjoying the glory of God's miraculous wonders. Now hold in your mind his being scourged and having his flesh torn from his back. Holding your mind his struggling to keep his head above water as the ship he's on sinks violently into a watery abyss. Holding your mind his restless sleep as, as, at, at night while thugs scour the streets trying to find him and kill him. Holding your mind the vision of his body crumpled on the ground, facing the bloody dirt, covering his head and body in desperate bid not to die from seemingly unending onslaught of stones. Paul's life is an example of what doing the will of God and living in light of eternity looks like. You see, the pride of life is all about us. 
It's all about chasing things or possessions or accolades that we believe will somehow add value to us or bring praise and recognition from other people. We chase our wants or our desires or our own ambitions. We, we often mask this as the, as the American dream. And, and we also, we use words like hustle and drive to justify our own pursuit of more. And, and, and we chase likes and shares. We chase excitement and thrills. We spend countless hours scrolling and liking other people's lives while neglecting our own. We buy clothes to look relevant, shoes to be popular. We look for comfort in the wrong places. We seek satisfaction in pornography and drinking. We try so hard to keep up. We try so hard to keep up and try so hard to get ahead. We try so hard finding what will bring us peace. And it's honestly exhausting. Exhausting. 